Listen up. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the podcast participants and not to any participant's employer, organization, committee, or other group or individual. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. You know, for fun. So lighten up and enjoy. Oh, Stomping Jen, it's episode 93. Can you believe it? Oh my God, I can't believe it. We've made it 93 episodes. If my math is right, that's seven short of 100. That sounds about right. Okay, on this episode, this is exciting. We have Elizabeth McDuffie and Mark Allen Miller from Meat for Tea, a Valley Review. This is a whole bunch of stuff. It's a magazine, it's a press, it's a podcast, and we are going to talk about all of that with them. I'm excited. I am too. So we'll see you on the other side of the fantabulous intro music that I wrote. (laughs) Here we go. Soft Serve Podcast. Creamy, delicious ideas without the creepy truck. The creamiest, the most deliciousest ideas, Stomping Jet. Deliciousest? Yep. 93 episodes, zero trucks. Yep. Creepy or otherwise. Well, Here we are. If the truck rolled up, I don't know, we'd have a problem. We would have a problem. So I said it before. This is episode 93 of the Soft Surf Podcast. You are stomping Jen. I am Sawtooth Frank. And we have two amazing guests with us. Hailing right here from our very own Western Massachusetts. The Pioneer Valley, as some call it. Mm -hmm. They are Elizabeth McDuffie and Mark Allen Miller from Meat for Tea, The Valley Review. Hello, Elizabeth. Hello, Mark. Hello. I had to. Glad to be here, Sawtooth and Stomp and Jen. Hi, folks. Hello. So, welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome. So, we typically kick off with our guests by letting them tell us a little bit about themselves. So, I would love to hear from each of you um, about who you are, what you do, and just kind of kick us off, tell us a little bit about why you're here to talk to us. I think it's about um, your Meat for Tea, the Valley Review. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll begin. I'm Elizabeth McDuffie. I'm founding editor. To be fair, one of the founding editors of the Valley Review, um, another person founded it with me, and then she had to leave because she had a baby. But it's an arts and literary journal that we've kept running for 14 years, quarterly arts literary journal, in print, not online. And um, recently we felt like a natural offshoot of the journal was to have an audio component, a podcast. 
So well, we did a podcast in, in every in every issue of the magazine. Oh, hi, I'm I'm Mark Allen. This Miller. is my husband. Hi, Mark. Yeah. Hi. I became a de facto member and participant in Meet for Tea shortly after Elizabeth and I started dating. Actually, we met because of Meet for Tea. This is true. I mean, well, we actually met prior, but we started spending time together. Well, that was, first meeting, you were married and shit. So yeah, that, I, actually, yeah, no, neither of us was presumed. I'm not one of those. But later on down the road, when, when I became single and was looking for interesting things to do. Well. that's not what i meant but um (laughs) we uh we we got together because i I, uh, we were talking about doing things with the me for tea cirques which if anybody are you familiar the no tell us a little bit about that please okay well the magazine itself is 14 years old and um it's quarterly and to celebrate the release of every issue and this has been pretty regular for a very long time i produce a multimedia release party with art on exhibit spoken word film and live music and sometimes things like puppet shows we've had burlesque and it's a it's a it's a big party of 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 art and celebration art in every genre so when, when i first became involved with me for tea was partially because i was looking for interesting things to do and one of them turned out to be like being involved with the Cirques. And within a few months, I also became the graphic designer. I took over for a very lovely... Raphael Lino yeah, very lovely of Lino graphic, Arts. Yeah, lovely graphic designer. And he really sort of set the template for what the magazine looks like now. And I took it and ran with it. But we also, after oh, a couple of years, I had opened a new studio in East Hampton. And we had a big space... Sound Lab. We'd been doing the, the shows at the Elevens in Northampton, which is really difficult for anything other than rock music. Trying to get somebody to to, to shut up and listen to spoken word at a at a rock club. Actually, yeah, pretty tough. I want I want to say because I listened to your episode with Horace, and you know the Elevens had the other side, the infamous side that was Tully O'Reilly's, mm-hmm. oh, and yeah. um, yeah. So we had a door fee, so um, <clears throat> we could do the honorable thing and pay our bands. And because we had burlesque performers, who we also like to pay. We would have people sneaking in the back door. Mm. From the, once they saw tits, they all tried to, you know, sneak across because they're classy guys that came from over there. <laughs> I actually had to like physically push, and I did. I think you watched me push like a hole, and I'm. I'm Five five one nineteen. Theoretically, we had. I pushed like a whole wall of guys out of the club. Theoretically, we had, uh, and we paid for it. Uh, we paid the club uh, an extra fee to have a person guarding that door too. And they did the job so fucking well. Yeah, they were there, you know, about three quarters of the time, and it, and most of that time was not during the burlesque. And I actually had to confront some people coming in without without having paid their their door fee and. I, I almost got it punched. was annoying. I almost got punched a couple times. So just, just for saying you didn't pay. I yeah. didn't, but I almost threw a punch or two. So <laughs> did you did you put on these live shows to support kind of the magazine? Um to release each issue. Mm-hmm. So I would have a live reading, but I, I didn't take any money 
to funnel back into the magazine yeah. or maybe a very small percentage after producing. I'd, I'd only pay myself what was left after paying the performers. Mm -hmm. There was one show at the Elevens famously that I remember after I paid all the performers, I had 43 cents left in my hand. Yeah. And so that's what I paid myself. I, I think a large, large part of the Cirques also is an extension of taking a print magazine. Bring it has, to life. Yeah. It has, it has, it has writing and it has art, but like, adding things you can't put in a two-dimensional physical publication right mm -hmm. so adding adding films adding music adding the actual spoken word component um well and sometimes the art and exhibit was art that was in the magazine so i want it to be like you can almost walk through oh, it yeah we've, we've had actually originals of the cover art on exhibit yeah, yeah. So, so would you try so would you try to connect each live show to the particular magazine definitely. that was being released or about Good to be question. released? Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Oh yeah, yeah. They're 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 definitely centered around that was a priority. They're yeah. centered around that that particular issue's um, yeah. content. It, I mean, in terms of the, the spoken word and the and the short films, oh, that doesn't really work. No, the spoken word, I'm sorry. In terms of the music, the live music and the short films, for example. No, there's not necessarily a direct connection to that actual issue, usually. Thematically. But th thematically there might be, yes. Yeah. yeah, thematically. So backing up a little bit, uh, tell us a little bit about starting a magazine. Why did you, yeah. why did you, why did you say, I want to start this magazine? And, how, you know, you did it. I'm really curious mm -hmm. about that. Cool question. So um, when the magazine started, I was an adjunct professor of English at Holyoke Community College, and I had a really new cool colleague, Alexander Wagman, who had come out from Cal Arts. And we were sitting in the office one day um, responding to the student papers, and she looked up and she said, you know what, we should start a literary zine. And I said, uh, okay, about that eloquently. <laughs> Um, and then we discussed what to name it. And in its first iteration, Meet for Tea, the way it's spelled, was a band. It was to be an industrial rock band um, on which I'd be playing keys. And the band disbanded. One member went to Brooklyn. Another member went to Rhode Island. We were three. So I had this name, M-E-A-T-F-O-R-T-E-A, -E -E and I really liked the way it looked. So when she said we should start a literary zine, I'm like, well, what if we call it Meat for Tea? And like the English professor she is and I was, she said, okay, colon, the Valley Review. Mm -hmm. Actually, initially it was Meat for Tea, the Northampton Review for a few issues until I moved to East Hampton <laughs> and decided I should really broaden that a bit. Uh-huh. How often do you publish the magazine? Quarterly. 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 Let me do the math. So that that's would be four. four times a year. Yes. That would be it. <laughs> Only, and that's, that's a great question. Um, <laughs> actually, before we, I know, I love those. We, we need to get one of those. You guys are inspiring ideas I in do, us. I do but, all that stuff way. in our podcast and post-production, though. Those cool sounds. I know it's kind of cool to do it in real time. I like <laughs> yeah, I used to do. I used to do it all in post and. I, I mean, like you may this. be able to tell by listening to my episodes. I do very little actual editing, editing now because, um, you know, I'm mixing all of this down into a single into a single track as we go. So I kind of treat it as like a live show in a way. That's sort of how I think about it now. I like it. Sure, sure. 
It's really cool. Yeah, so, so, um, so quarterly. Quarterly, but I'm yep. glad you asked that because actually when we were doing, um, we had, and we, we both have done this, we had a couple of episodes on the purple flame specifically. Um, the first one was with Jason Montgomery and Josh Sahoza, who started Purple Flame. And when we started that, I realized that it wouldn't be prudent the next Cirque, which is what I call my release parties, perhaps pretentiously, but it wouldn't be prudent to encourage people to gather in a space that was to be for June 13th. Mm-hmm. So for the first time in over a dozen years, we delayed the release of an issue and the Cirque. And then we had the house fire um, probably two weeks after I made that decision. So I'm retroactively glad that I did. But um, what we're doing instead, we are we are having a Cirque September 5th, but it's not going to be a physical Cirque. We still don't feel that the COVID numbers are good enough to encourage people to gather on mass in a space. Mm-hmm. So are you going to do a, So are you going to do a virtual circ like a Zoom exactly. or something? Exactly. Yeah. Yep, exactly. It won't be live. We're going to we're going to compile video from from readers and musicians and You're trying to keep it simple. You know, from from short film creators and things. We're going I'm basically I'm going to edit together a multimedia show and we're going to either stream it live but from a pre-recorded video or we're just going to post something that will go live at that moment. I haven't quite figured out the technology that we're we will, use, but there'll be something that'll be, that'll be premiering at the time that we normally would do a sir. And so and also since we had to delay, sorry, no, it's okay. Go ahead. Sawtooth, yep. Since we had to delay the June issue, we have decided instead the issue released in September is going to be a double issue. Oh, and it's going to have, have you ever seen those magazines where there's two front covers, just one is upside down yes. of yeah. the other and then half. The, so we're doing that. Oh, cool. It's going yeah. to cost a million billion gazillion dollars to print. <laughs> yeah. So local businesses that advertise with us ears up. Yeah. And that was going to be, that was going to be my question was, uh, you unfortunately had to delay the Cirque and the the June magazine, so you're gonna publish in September coming up, mm-hmm. and it'll be probably a double a issue, two hundred plus page issue. Oh wow, that's oh, great! Probably more than that. Probably. Well, our normal is about one hundred and forty lately. Perfect bound. Yeah, we're gonna mm-hmm. be pushing three hundred pages probably. So, a question I think, and people may be wondering this: What mm-hmm. exactly does Meat for Tea mean? Is there any meaning behind that name? Any inspiration that well, generated a it? Story, and actually, there's a really fun interview with me on on that public television show, Connecting Point. I think that I think they took that down though. Dex. I think they. they Any, took well, that, down. that was up there. <laughs> it was up there for years. I think it's off their website. Damn it. Okay. Well, I'm not going to keep referring people to that. So, um, back in the days of MySpace. Mm, oh, MySpace. <laughs> wow, I know. Do you guys remember that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're I old mean, enough. It's easier to remember than Friendster, yeah. I imagine. <laughs> I remember Friendster as well. Me too. I was never on Friendster. But I, was. I was. On I was. But I, not, not very long. But anyway, back in the days of MySpace, um, and I was 
English professoring at the time, a fellow sent me a MySpace message and asked me if I would like to meet for tea, and he spelled it exactly like that. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> Guess who didn't get the date with the English professor? Yeah. And I love your logo, which is a steak or some kind of piece of meat being dipped into a cup of tea. I love yeah, it. Yeah, we love it too. Thank tea. you. That's that's a that's a Raffaellino design, I believe. Should I tell the truth? Well, he 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 copped it from somebody else, but that's his um, original. I work. actually, my co-editor Alexander Wagman, who's now full-time faculty at HCC, shout out to Alexander Wagman, um. And I found this Italian print of that steak in a teacup. And I actually tried to reach out to the artist and I asked him and all kinds of shit. And he didn't say anything. And I was just like, okay, well, if you're not bothered, I'm not bothered. And um, had my graphic designer adopt the logo. So, um, and, hmm. But he did, he did, he did hmm. sort of an original... He did line drawing translate version. it very originally, so I don't feel like such a pirate. It was inspired by the painting, but it wasn't. It wasn't a direct. A direct Shall we say loosely inspired? I'm not the urban outfitters of <laughs> um, the arts and literary world. Shall we say? Well, I love it. I love the. I love the story behind the name. That's really cool. So, I know. I just saw the words in together meet for tea like that, and I liked how it. Um, almost skews palindrome yeah um, almost so, it has a weird symmetry phonetic symmetry so what kind and, of stuff does your uh magazine feature like what kind of stuff would somebody who's interested in looking at the meat for tea magazine yeah uh, find inside of it like who's your target audience and like who who do you hope is picking up the publication yeah um well, I've never really thought in terms of marketing or target audience. I mainly think of in terms of, do I like this? And is yeah. this something I would genuinely want to curl up with and read from cover to cover? Right. So I really publish to please me. Right. And if other people like it, that's good. But as far as isolating a demographic or any of that marketing yeah. bullshit, I don't actually give a shit about that. So it's you're the main curator of the content. Oh, yeah. Currently, we have a staff of two. You're looking at us. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> In the age of COVID, it's a little difficult to get an intern. Ironically, I don't even know. No, that's the Alanis Morissette use of the word. Ironically, I take it back. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> I had just applied to Smith College for an intern through their Praxis program about a week before Corona really hit. Mm -hmm. So, so much for that intern. We've had some excellent interns throughout the years, but um, circumstances health-wise have dictated it be just the two of us um, to describe in better detail what I look for in terms of content. I guess the best way to sum it up is to say that um, I gravitate towards a punk rock aesthetic, but carried off with virtuosic, virtuosic flair. Like I really want a virtuoso writer, but I want that kind of punk rock aesthetic. You know, the thing the thing about punk rock that, that is often 
misunderstood coming in as the. Let us talk to you about punk rock as the old people we are. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and this is the, the musician speaking here is that. There's and the romper stomper punk rock play. This myth <laughs> that punk rock is like you don't know how to play your instruments. All you need to do is figure out Bullshit. how to hammer out a couple a couple chords and you can make great music. But if you listen to all the great punk rock records, almost all of those bands actually know how to play their instruments. They just don't give a shit about convention. Right. And it's more about what's the emotion, what's the feeling, what are you trying to get across? And how do you do that efficiently? And I think that, you know, having come into me for tea fairly early in the game, relatively speaking, but, you know, because it's been a number of years now, but geez, you know, 11 We've years been ago. together 11 years. Yeah, I've been involved. Married six. I've been involved in the magazine for 11 years, but I would say that the, the punk rock description is is apt, but don't look at it like what some people pigeonhole. Oh, I'm just going to throw this bullshit on the page just, and they're going to publish it. Uh-uh. Yeah, just, just sloppy. Uh-uh. No, it's, it's actually like there is a, to, to keep the metaphor going, there is a musicianship behind the curation of this magazine and behind the people who contribute. They, I think a lot of the times it fits that same aesthetic too. Is like, they're not going to follow a convention. Mm-hmm. They're going to do what moves them. At the they, same time, though, the average contid- contributor has uh, yes. one, if not two, terminal degrees, often publishes their own literary journal or owns a press, um, often is themselves a college professor. I mean, it's... it's or an editor or... Yeah. Or all. Mm-hmm. But it's it's not a low bar. And I am picky. And I, I've... I rejected a piece by Marge Piercy um, yeah. because she had a typo and I asked for a clean <laughs> copy. So I'm sorry. I don't care who you are. Yeah. When you learn the rules, when you get a submission, when you're looking at it and maybe it's that feeling you have mm-hmm. or whatever it is, but how do you know that this is a piece worth publishing when you, when you see it? Is there, is it a feeling you get? Is it something else? What a lovely question. Thank you. Um, Really, if I am captivated, if I am held in thrall, not bored, not um, not left confused, I don't mean that the writing can't be experimental. I mean left confused because there's just narrative threads that are dropped for no good reason. And if I'm not disturbed by obvious mistakes, then... I'm going to know it's in. I have to really, I have to really be captivated because I want my readers to be captivated. I want them to have that experience. I don't want anything to be boring or a grind to read. I'm not producing a literature anthology for a 102 class. Do you have a lot of correspondence with people who submit like um, something that you talked a little bit about seeing a mistake or an obvious mistake? Do you, if, do you have to reach out and say, hey, I noticed, you know, in this particular piece of work, you, you spelled this wrong or you left this thing hanging? It, or do you just do you just kind of go with your gut and make an assumption around maybe that was an intentional thing or? Um, that's, mm. that's case by case. I mean, because we say very clearly in our submission guidelines, we want clean copy only. I feel comfortable declining something if it's not clean copy um i know i'm not the new yorker but i i I like to have a standard and 
I don't think anyone would submit a piece with noticeable typos or errors to the New Yorker. Yeah. And I would prefer not to get them myself, not to sound Mm -hmm. like a bee squatch, (laughs) as a seven-year-old I knew years ago called it. (laughs) And I was was reading through your submission guidelines, and I I understand why you have to have them, obviously, right? They're Um, long, I know. Yeah. And do do people tend to have a difficult time following them? Do you have to reject a lot of stuff because, Mm -hmm. you know, people just can't, like, figure it out or follow instructions? You know, I feel like they're kind of, they kind of work to sort the wheat from the chaff. Right. Yeah. If you, if you're smart enough to get through them and smart enough to read them and, and, you know, they are long and they are detailed, but they're not complicated. Well, it's probably complicated for some people because, you know, coming in from the graphic design side of things. It's like uh, I'm not sure how more how much more clear I can say these dimensions at this minimum DPI. Three hundred DPI, please. And then, as the the person who does the layout of the magazine and having to import text, you know, this format or this format only, please. And I get all sorts of stuff. And the, the thing is, is that sometimes we get things that Elizabeth, when she's reading, she loves it, and she's like, "That's in." And then I have to deal with the fact that the file format came in funny and sometimes I'll reach out to the, to the writer or to the, to the artist and go, can you please resubmit this? We really want to, con- we want to include it, yeah. but I can't deal with the, with the format you sent. Uh, actually, you're looking at the author of the very long detailed submission. <laughs> guidelines. That, 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 here it is. Most, most, most <laughs> I mean, we, we, we had our discussions over probably every single detail, except for when it gets super technical. But, you know, when you get so many art submissions, which are someone just taking a picture of their art on a wall with the wall visible behind it, Mm -hmm. um, you feel like you just have to kind of try once again to make it ever more clear. So I guess it just gets longer and longer, but... I've I've amended it far too many times where now it is kind of a mess and I should probably go through it. Yeah. And clean it up a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I mean you I mean you both um you both strike me as being really artistic, empathetic people and um Thank you. And and I think well. and and I sense and I sense in talking to you 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 know feel the responsibility of being the people who are looking at content coming in and sort of acting kind of like gatekeepers in effect. And do you feel that responsibility like saying um we're the people saying this is worth seeing um yes yeah. <laughs> and uh, in a nutshell oh, well, i love it I love no, it. as I a matter of fact um i love it uh, th- there are pieces i'll just reject out of hand like for instance the yeah. first half of our double themed issue um it's going to be black uh, i'm sorry it's going to be passion fruit and black current Black current because of, I think, currently we're thinking about black issues right now. It seems mm-hmm. important to me. But um, the passion fruit theme, I was really surprised by how many would-be contributors interpreted it as porno fruit. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and that wasn't exactly what I was asking for. And there's all this stuff with, like, just... I mean, I I don't mind, and I have had some sex in my issues, but just just 
really, I'm not a pornographer. I am a literary journal and I, I, there, there's a place for everything. Yeah. I don't disapprove of pornography, but it's just, it's not what I produce. Yeah. We're, we're hardly prudes, but it's not it's, hardcore. It's, is it's, that what you're saying? Like, not yet. Well, <laughs> not as publishers. But no, I had one submission and the guy in his letter said, well, you're the one who made the theme passion fruit as he's got this like intense homoerotic blowjob scene. And I'm like, well, cool, dude. But, you know, I'm fine. But but you're the one who interpreted passion fruit as being porno fruit. I'm, I'm yeah. pretty sure I didn't say that. So and it's a fine line because it, it is for grownups and there are pieces with content like I would not advise you to put this in the hands of your children to read. Mm-hmm. You could select a poem or a story or some artwork or even a handful of pages that you thumb through that would be appropriate for them. And there are places that are just like, you know, think about the Beatles white album, there's Helter Skelter. And then there's things that could be lullabies. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of that span. So, but yeah, I do feel that because if I get a submission from someone in their cover letter indicates that they're a hopeful high school senior or an undergrad I'm going to take some time on my decline letter and make sure mm-hmm. I encourage them and make sure I let them know that my standard contributor has an MFA, if not an MFA and a PhD and, you know, just let them know right. where the bar is and tell them to keep, keep going. Yeah. Cause I don't want to shut anyone down on their creative journey. Yeah. And, um, not thinking about the the porno fruit, um, I'm sort of <laughs> I, I'm sort of I'm well, one I'm one our underground issue. We'll release it. Oh yeah. my! Not not thinking about that as an example, but I'm wondering if you would ever publish anything that you looked at and you said this is offensive to me, but I think people need to see this. Mm, I'm curious question. if you've ever encountered something like that, or you or you would, or if that's I'm a question you grapple with. I mean, I'm, not, I'm not sure if that is actually that ever, hasn't happened to me yet. I don't think it's ever actually come up really. I mean, th- there was a piece by an author I, I generally like to publish a lot, but that he, one of his characters, was only ever named as the albino. I just couldn't. I just, I, I couldn't. I just, it, I, I just, I felt like it was reduced that character to that one thing which is almost a racial thing and I, I i couldn't it was it was really reductive it's a really well written piece but i just i couldn't she, she even had me read it and i I, don't, I honestly don't read when i'm on the fence i don't read the majority of the submissions other than skimming through them when i'm laying out the magazine i'm the single solitary reader right now lord help me I, I don't, <laughs> it's a mountain when i'm laying out the magazine i can't read every word i have to trust that that what's coming in is clean copy and if something jumps out at me, I'll, I'll, you know, tuck it in a little bit, but yeah, but she had me read that particular piece. And I got to say, it was an excellent story. Excellent. I, I really thought very it was Very exciting, very well written. I just couldn't get around reducing someone to the color of their skin, especially right now. Well, every, every. It felt like the wrong time. Mm-hmm. Every time that that label came up, I just cringed. Me too. And I, I, I thought to myself, you know. I couldn't deal. If this had been changed in a way where the the character wasn't labeled as such and was somehow reframed. Even if it was like Albino Jones. 
maybe even that would have worked. Which is not a bad band name. Like a nickname or something. <laughs> but it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't that. It was it was the albino. Yeah. And I couldn't I couldn't Is this author gonna be mad at us? I couldn't if this author hears this then, you know, understand our criticism and maybe understand yeah. why we didn't publish the piece. That's cool. The you know, it was but I'll and I'll say it again, it was a really great lovely piece, piece of writing. But I yeah. couldn't I couldn't chew on that and it kept happening. And I finally, after I got through the piece and I looked over to Elizabeth and I said, you know, it's great. I was on the fence for a reason. We, we can't. No, we can't. It's not. It I just, it doesn't work. It can't. It, no. I think, I think a lot of what happens with people that submit to Meet for Tea is when something's been going on as long as this has, you know, it's 14 years old. There is a mm-hmm. culture that grows up around it. Yeah. And I do have a pretty regular crew of people that I like to publish and I'm thinking of well Jason Montgomery and I'm thinking of Joshua Michael Stewart and I'm thinking of Connolly Ryan and the oh, list you mean, you go, Gerald Yell and, and I mean, Dan Hills and Gerald Yell and Richard Horton and there's <laughs> and, and so and the, there is a crew of writers and I just named off some locals but there's a crew that come back. I Michael like what Washburn. they do. Yeah, I, mean, I know them. So that, that, and that doesn't mean that new people don't get in because they do all the time. But there is a culture. And I think there's an understanding that this is not maybe the place to write a story where you're pushing a right-wing agenda yeah. or mm-hmm. Trumpism. Has there ever been something you've passed on for publication and you saw it somewhere else and like in a different context and you kind of had a second thought about it and you're like, oh, geez, we really should have published that <laughs> if nope. it popped up somewhere else? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Um, usually people that get picked up for publication someplace else let me know um, prior to when my submission deadline ends. Because a lot of people I publish are well-regarded authors that are actively publishing, and I, all I've got to say to them is congratulations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <clears throat> more power to you. <clears throat> Excuse me, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but um, it is allergy season. Mm-hmm. Oh, we had yeah. a conversation about this earlier in the car today because I was <laughs> oh, gurgling in my own mucus, <sighs> and stomping Jen right? was like, "What is wrong with you? Allergies." <laughs> yeah. And we're we're lucky enough to be staying at this gorgeous, gorgeous house. I'll send you guys privately some pictures. But um, it's an Amherst, which I feel like is at the bottom of the cereal bowl of pollen that is oh, yeah. the valley. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> this is where it all collects. Oh, yeah, yep. yeah. How many how many submissions per issue do you have to sort through? Do you get? Oh, do you get? I'm really curious. Oh my god! I, it's. And I can well, imagine I, because they're coming in email too. That probably increases by a factor of ten, like the number of submissions. It's you would a lot. Get. I mean, yeah. it's. I, I I did finally. I use Submittable, and shout out to Submittable. I love you guys. Sponsor Soft Serve. Sponsor Meat for Tea. Sponsor all the independent podcasts. But um, I use Submittable as my submission submission manager, and after producing the magazine for. God, what was it? After eight years without ever charging a submission fee and being very 
dedicated to this selfless idea of never charging a fee, I realized, first of all, I'm posting contributors' copies of this print, perfect bound thing that costs like, well, seven years ago, three bucks a package to mail. Now, you know, postal rates are crazy. And I realized it wasn't a sustainable model. And also, my reading time might be worth a little bit of money. Mm-hmm. Right. Just a little bit. Yeah. So I did start charging, wait for it, a $4.50 submission fee. <laughs> and the ration of shit I took for that. And also the, the very large number of people that seem to be operating the, under the assumption that if a woman starts a literary journal, she's obviously independently wealthy Mm -hmm. and that's why she's doing it. It's just so she's got something to do, I guess, when she's not caring for her miniature Maltese or doing needlepoint. (laughs) Is that a stereo is that a stereotype that you deal with in the publishing industry? I'm I'm gathering it might be. It's it's a weird one. Yeah. Because um generally speaking, if you if you look around to the world of people that put out their own literary publications, it's selfless. We don't mm-hmm. tend to make any money or very little. Um, and most of us are overeducated people with too many degrees, with lots of student loan debt that just felt like we'd create this other cool platform to bring up artists and writers. But um, if you're motivated by greed and you're going to this industry, I would say you're barking up the exact wrong tree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like starting a band and expecting just to become an instant overnight rock star. And like, that's it. You give up your day job. Like, uh, Well, and that's when you start talking about yeah. marketing and demographics. And that's just all you focus on instead of the creativity. That's yeah, right. That's not how that works. Yeah. It's not how we roll. Do you, do you feel like there with, with the emergence of um, online media and mediums like podcasting, do you, th- are people still interested in getting kind of niche physical magazines or zines? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I yes. Think so. um, I mean, Meat for Tea is outgrown. Um, the zine classification, it's, hmm. uh, again, being perfect bound and averaging between 130 to 145 pages an issue. You could compare it physically more to, like, Granta. Poetry Journal is like 100 pages typically, isn't it? Yeah, our cover art is way cooler than Poetry Journal. I I don't know any... Do you have a subscription (laughs) model? Sorry, just because I don't know. Do you guys have... You have to subscribe to it to get it? Is that how it works? How do people get... You can can buy um, Thanks for Asking, Stompin' Jen. I like (laughs) that question. So um, you can subscribe. You can go to Forbes Library or Emily Williston Library or Jones Library, um, provided they're open. Wear your mask and gloves, please, <laughs> before you go to the library. Don't be an asshole in the library. I was going to say that. Um, and it's physically carried at a number of bookstores, too, Hastings, mm-hmm. Broadsides, Comics and More, um, Amherst Books. Just to name a few, and also PDFs. Bookmoon as well. Yeah, Bookmoon. PDFs are only $5. And the okay. cool thing about a PDF is while you don't have the physical print thing to put on your coffee table and look cool with, um, 
the PDF, all the internal art is full color because we can afford to do that yeah, in the PDF. Well, we can't, well, or inversely, we can't afford to print full color in the internet. Okay. I think, I think, I think to, to someday maybe to, to answer the question more specifically is that outside of the region, outside of the local area, no, we don't really have any sort of distribution. So okay. any, anybody who wants to get a physical copy of it, um, Typically, it's a mail order situation. They order a copy from the through website. the website. Some okay. people do subscribe, and I think that the discount amounts to almost nothing because we can't really afford to offer a discount. Postage is outrageous. Postage what does it cost to send a magazine? Four in, bucks. Oh, more than that. in in the In the U.S., depending on where, it's anywhere between five and a quarter and almost six dollars just to send a single issue. Oh wow. Uh -huh. To send a copy overseas is anywhere between about twenty three dollars mm -hmm. and twenty eight dollars. Actually, I just had and I mail my contributors. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank thank you. you I mail my contributors their copies, and I have had a pretty good volume of international contributors as well, which I'm happy for. But um, just two weeks ago, I got returned in the mail an envelope from Berlin. Aye. And another one from Seoul, Korea, with contributors' copies. So the combined postage on those was $52 and change. Jeez. And that's and this just was because of some sort of addressing the error. Good grief. So, and, and we can't right? We can't afford to resend those to these contributors. Yeah. And, and it's actually gotten to the point where we're, we're actually having to... I Maybe think, internationals just get PDFs. I think that the policy we're going to have to do, because we, we love to... Rem remunerate our contributors with a physical copy because that's yeah. like the least you can do right but we're hemorrhaging postage money our, we're war in our ancient our international contributors are just it's a it's a ferocious amount of money to send one copy of the magazine you know the printing cost for a standard issue is probably you know oh i'm not exactly sure so i don't want to quote but it's it's a number of dollars to print a single issue and then you deal with 20 some odd dollars to ship it. And say you have four contributors overseas, you're dealing with $125, $150 just to send them their copies. That's, crazy. That's, that's, that's prohibitive. And it's, yeah. it, it, didn't used to, it didn't used to be that way. When I first got involved with this, sending a copy overseas was like $7. It's gone up exponential, exponentially. I used to have an Australian subscriber. Yeah, well, we don't have any international subscribers anymore. Those are gone. Mm. Mm. I know because the postage is too high, and then so I, I don't, I don't blame them. I, don't blame I them. know. So we I'm have international PDF buyers. People buy PDFs. But. Yeah. Hmm. So I'm thinking a little bit about the people who might be listening to this, who are going to go check out your magazine and think I might want to send something in. Do you have any kind of advice for people who would be thinking about submitting to your magazine? Yes. Always. Hey, we'd love to hear it. Sure. Um, first of all, although there is a theme, and I've always had a theme for every issue, <sighs> I advise people just to put that theme in their back of their minds. And you can look through existing writing you already have. Or you can just let it bubble up back there while you're working on a piece of writing. But but don't write to the theme in a literal interpretation. Yeah, don't take it literally. I, I advise a much more postmodern approach. The best stuff that comes in is almost like like just serendipitous or synchronous. Slant it sideways. 
Well, the second thing is is also um, go and grab a PDF of the issue online. Yes, you should know the magazine and the aesthetic. Mm-hmm. You should know that for anything you submit yeah. to, right? Just, just yeah. be familiar with what you're submitting to, because like, why would it? Of course, this this dates me a little bit because record labels are kind of an antiquated thing to some degree now. But like, why would a metal band submit a demo to a label that deals exclusively with R and B? Right. Like, right. Why would you do that? Yeah. I think that's really good advice that some people may not think about, right? They kind of maybe do this mass um, submissions. Mass submissions oh, and God, don't give yes, a lot of yeah. do. I hate that. Yeah. The shotgun approach, yes. Yeah. We've seen we've seen it. And that's probably you you write sawtooth. I <laughs> you're poet. Um yeah, I have over the years. I was a professional writer for eleven years um nice. in, the, in the pharmaceutical industry and Wow. That kind of sucked the desire and love of writing out of me. There's nothing like getting paid for something. To, technical to, writing. Yeah, yeah, technical writing to absolutely drive a stake through the heart of it. <laughs> I know um, a lot of people at UMass and the MFA program that supplemented their income with technical writing. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it was great money. It was something I was really interested in, uh, but it was more of the industry. I didn't like working in the pharmaceutical industry. It was mm-hmm. kind of soul Yeah, it was soul-sucking. Um, yep, fair enough. But that aside, you know, over the years, um, I've written two collections of poetry. I've got about, I've made about 30 pages of a way into a novel so I, i'm pecking away at stuff here oh, and cool there, but it's great um we have a chat book press by the way no yep. it's kind of on hold right now but <laughs> yeah we, so, we haven't had the bandwidth while we're waiting to move back into our house yeah before to, I, I actually have yeah and i actually have some questions for you about the chat book part of your um me oh, for tea um, i like that segue yeah but i did want to <laughs> ask you where do you see the magazine going in the future is that kind of a question mark for you or do you have a plan um we've got a freaking great thing going on and we're going to keep doing it awesome. <laughs> <laughs> i mean honestly before was it last may 2018 19 may 2019 we um won best in category at the 62nd annual New England Book Show, which um, in the literary journal category, which is significant because um, we we placed ahead of plowshares. Which is a pretty big yeah, deal. Yeah, it is. Yeah. In the um, yeah they're, so they're pretty big. Deal. I feel like these are, this is kind of a vote of confidence, this mm-hmm. kind of. Um, we're doing something right. Critical right? acclaim. Yeah. We're doing it in a small way, and we're doing it in a very um, who gives a fuck about marketing or finding a demographic <laughs> and kind of punk rock way. But I, I think people people gravitate towards that kind of realness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, authenticity. So it sounds yeah, like I the pl- yep. Sounds like the plan is to keep on keeping on. I mean that on. that and and. Yeah, Even exactly. if we're still going to be small. Yeah, yeah. no, it's just, this is, obviously we'd like to grow, but it's it's more about refining what we think is already working and mm-hmm. making it work like incrementally better this as we learn stuff. This room is so stuff. hot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're, <laughs> we I, I refuse to go through, I actually, I, I have a very good friend um, 
who works at Unnameable Books and Amherst, who years ago, God, almost seven years ago, said, don't go through a distributor because they will make you destroy your publication. They'll force you to print thousands of issues, more than you could possibly sell, and then just rip the covers off and destroy them. He's like, don't even... Then you're on the hook for that. Don't yeah. fuck with that. Yeah. And I, I feel like that's maybe just... I know it's a model that's efficient and that might make money, but not to say I've taken a vow of poverty, but just, I don't know, that's a model that I really feel like has much integrity or that speaks to really being an artist. Well, it's it's also just a huge freaking gamble because like the the one out of a hundred people who might, who might actually strike the iron just right in a situation like that. And there's, 50,000 copies of their magazine printed and they go out to distributors and most of them sell. So they get to print another issue of the magazine through Mm -hmm. that distributor and aren't on the hook for that first printing. Um, Yeah. Bully for them. Uh, (laughs) It just seems, I don't know. It's just, it, it's not how I care to roll. Yeah. Um, We're probably poor for a reason. We, 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 we have these, both of us share these beliefs. So we, we, Oh, I've been running my own little record label for for seven, 16, 17 years now just to release mostly my own stuff. I released a couple other things, but mostly my own stuff because not because I hate record labels, because I've actually had three really good relationships with record labels. Metropolis. Yeah, I was actually one of the earliest signees to Metropolis Records, one of the hugest like electronic industrial labels still running now. Mm-hmm. I think I think my first record with them was catalog number seventeen. You're doing an episode too. And does that uh, mean does catalog number mean that was their like seventeenth album that they released? That was their that was their seventeenth release. I think it was O okay. one seven, yeah. Um and I did four records with them and I was on another label prior to that and I've done work with another label called Artifact Records out of Toronto and and Helsinki for a two thousand sixteen release. But aside from that, everything I've released since 19 well after the 1997 record i did was was independent i did it on my own on my own label with minimal distribution but until cd sales basically collapsed due to first piracy and then streaming i actually was able to to fund each release on my own label with the proceeds from the prior release it was kind of cool so i still i still carry that aesthetic and when it was, you know, Elizabeth and I got involved and I became part of the magazine, that aesthetic was with me and I saw what she was doing and I was like, that's a completely parallel concept. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like we can do this independently and yeah, is it going to be ever big? You hope so, but yeah. we can do it. I just don't know that the reason to create something should be that you're going to get rich from it. I, I, yeah. I just, I think that really clouds the whole deal. I, that yeah, I mean, thought process. I agree a hundred percent, right? Mm-hmm. And and there is a, I think there's an ethos right now because um, podcasting is a medium on the rise, and there's been some high-profile people who have been very successful in podcasting that mm-hmm. people think they're going to get into this and right. become instantly <laughs> successful, and they're surprised Those that they are only, hilarious, yeah, <laughs> or they're surprised that they only have three downloads. They don't understand 
you know, All the work I think behind it. when we got into this, it was always just a, a passion project um, nice. for, for me. I can feel that too. Um, and because I love, I like, I truly love the medium and I truly love talking to people and I love talking me about, too. Uh, you know, Stomping Jen will tell you this. Um, you know, I love talking <laughs> yeah. about myself and I can, I can go on forever. I mean, and, and, you know, that, that's a different episode, but um, I never got into this with the idea that we would reach kind of the, the very middling minor level of success we have in terms of like the number of people who are listening to us. Right. Yeah. So I'm glad you do though. That's awesome. Um, yeah. I've really enjoyed listening. Thank you very much. And it, so to your point, like it's really should be, you should do something because you're passionate right. about it and you love Bring it and, it, and it brings something to you. And, and it's a question yeah. I actually had for you is, um, you know, how, how does publishing, you know, satisfy you as artists? Yeah. I'm really curious if you can answer yeah. that. No, I'm, I'm glad to speak to that. I have an answer yeah. too, but Elizabeth should go first. So for years and years, I was very happily an English professor and that really fed my soul in a lot of ways. And I'm really glad I ran into Alex Wagman in the adjunct faculty office and she asked me to start the literary publication because um, about two years after we had that conversation, three years, I should say, a very evil person who was also my dean um, upon observing that I had one semester had strep and the next semester had walking pneumonia, decided to mark me as an absenteeist and not recommend me for reappointment and colluded with the adjunct faculty chair to oust me from my position as a professor. And this is when that was my sole means of income for supporting my then 15-year-old daughter. Yeah. Where's the... And, and, and I want to make one quick this comment. This is a very, very terrible person, but I'm not naming her name. Yeah. And I want to make yes. one quick comment. I work in higher education, and if anybody for a second thinks what Elizabeth is describing sounds improbable, you don't know higher education. Right. Thank you, Sawtooth. Yes. Thank you. I will tell you that I have, I have seen that scenario play out more times than I can count. Jesus. I was so sick, actually. Um. And this is a strange series of events, actually. The, the dean told me, um, and it seems not coincidental that the day I got the note in my till, there had been a poetry reading earlier in the day. And I read some of my poems, and she read some of hers. I asked her where she wanted to go in the order, and um, she said she would go before me and I was like well of course and um, then I got up to read Prozac for Van Gogh and a few other choice pieces uh, meanwhile my colleagues were kind of like quietly laughing at her shit poetry in the office <laughs> Yeah. then I get this note in my till and um, Mark and I were going to dinner the very Day we we'd gone to dinner the day before that happened. Not as a couple, not as a date. It actually. wasn't a date. It was just to actually, just to talk about his involvement with the future Cirque. Yeah, that was it. Just because we were, like it was, I said, trying to do something cool. It was so platonic, as a matter of fact. I was living in East Hampton. I had him pick me up on the bench outside of the 
brass cat because I was living at home with my youngest child who's been a teenager and no way in hell someone's going to know my address where I live alone with my daughter. <laughs> right. Yeah, I could have like, got to keep creep. it safe. Could have been a real creep. Could have been. No, actually, we, we had dinner at Sierra Grill and he wanted to come to my house and hear some vinyl and before getting his car. I'm like, okay, so you're not going to chop me up in a thousand pieces and put me in garbage bags <laughs> in the back of your car? Which, you know, one should ask every day. So anyway, that happened. And then I got the letter from my dean in my till the next day. Mark texted me the Saturday, Friday morning after that. I think that's when George William Myers was doing Wooly Bully Nights at the basement, which is surely owned by a terrible person. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But I, I told him what happened, and he's like, "Well, what do you want to do?" I'm like, "Well, I just want you to take me out dancing and get me terrifically drunk." I don't remember the second part of that. I just remember taking me out dancing. Oh no! I said, "Get me terrifically drunk." I think we ended up doing that anyway. And and we're still together. So um, but anyway, and after that, so that was May. He watched my health decline and decline and decline to the point that the following October, I was in the hospital with blood iron levels that they were so low they couldn't believe I walked in, in the ICU. I mean, she fired me as an absenteeist, but I was genuinely really fucking sick. Yeah. It, was, it, was, it was disgusting to, to be a witness to it. Uh, she also withheld my unemployment, and I had to go to court to fight for that. So she's... Yeah, very actively involved in the East Hampton Arts. Yeah, we won't name names, was. but anybody who's hearing this who knows who she is knows who Just she think is. about the person who looks rather like a wildebeest. No, that was that. Uh, okay. <laughs> I, I wanted to, so that, that, that goes to Shades your. Shades of Orwell's Animal Farm. That goes to your motivation of like trying to, like, what, what's, what's your drive, right? That was the question, I think. Yeah. Um, so I'm sorry, I took us off on a tangent. No, I okay. am going to swing it around back, and I used yep. to do this to my poor students all the time. So. The point is, the parts in me that were very fed by exposing people to critical thinking, to looking at the world in a new way, to appreciating literature they'd never really thought about, and maybe even appreciating it in ways that I hadn't thought about, because I don't feel that being a good teacher means having to be right all the time at all. But anyway, all those parts that were fed are similarly fed by creating a platform for people to publish their writing. And one of the main goals of Meet for Tea is to put emerging artists and writers between the same two covers with established ones. Mm. And I think that provides a real leg up. For instance, if you're an emerging artist and you're in one of the two issues where John Lurie, yes, that John Lurie, did the front cover painting. That's, that's not a bad position to be in. And I like just thinking of myself as providing this forum that also does put people in a good position to grow their expertise as a writer or an artist. Hmm. Yeah. I, I, I have a, a, a very... I think shorter answer to my answers are so long. No, no, <laughs> okay. there was there was a good story that actually set up the reason why it makes a lot of sense. I know I wrote a song about that, Dean. Um, 
Yeah, God no. say the dean. She ain't no human being. <laughs> well, my, my, my father, when I was, this is now here's a tangent. When I was a teenager, my father was one of the deans in the engineering department at UMass. And I remember more than once him over dinner lamenting his having to deal with. Bad dean. Having, yes, having to deal with another bad, bad dean. And I sort of understood that this person was a thorn in his side at the time. And then now I ha it gave me context for when, when Elizabeth was going through the utter bullshit this, this person was putting in. Protracted. Oh, it was completely, it was, no. This is, the lawsuit. I was like, oh, that's what. Oh, I, I sued her and I won. <laughs> well, there was a settlement. Which basically, <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, my, my little my little thing about what I love about um, being involved with a magazine is, as you may or may not know, it's like what I do most of the time is I work on people's records mm -hmm. and every single record is almost like giving birth to a little, a little something into the world and there's this satisfaction although there's actually sometimes a bit of a postpartum thing that happens too but there's a satisfaction when you finish a project and it's released into the world and it's done and you can't change it anymore because right. it's out there in the world but it's exciting and it's like we finished this thing and it is now it is own thing it exists as a separate entity from the creators that created it. And I love that sensation of finishing a project and making it, um, you know, it's cliche, but giving, you know, giving it giving its birth. It. Yeah. yeah. I want to yeah. share this. So this is a, a book. It's a book cover we're looking at here. Um, it says By an author I've published, yeah. um, Jose Luis Oseguera called The Milk of Your Blood. Yeah. And he signed it to me. Dear Elizabeth, thank you for giving my work its first chance to be published. Ah. That one publication gave me the inspiration, courage, and yes, permission to continue to submit my work to many other publications. I couldn't have done this without you. There, there it is. Oh, my God. Yeah, there yeah, it is right there. There it is. My, my skin is tingling. Boom. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the shit. And that's yeah. what feeds my soul. Yeah. And yeah. I feel wealthy for that more than all it, that's a the money in a bank account. Yeah. I feel yeah. so wealthy for that. Yeah. yeah. And Mark, to, to go, um, to just touch on what you were speaking about a little bit, when you do release something out into the world, whether it's, uh, um, whether, whether it's an issue of a magazine or a record, are you able just to let it go? Do you have those thoughts, you know? I could have done this a little bit better or I could have, could have done more. you know, are, are, can you just let it go Always. and be its own thing with my own work? Yeah. It's harder to, to mm -hmm. just let it go. But I've, I've also learned that if I don't let it go, it might be 10 years before I finish the freaking record. Right. Yeah. Um, when it comes to my client's work, all I need is the indication that they're thrilled. If they're not yeah. thrilled, then maybe we should look at why not. But if they're like, yeah, this is great. We're ready to go. Damn it. Get it out there. And even if they're not feeling like they're a hundred percent about it, but I'm feeling like, no, you got something really, really good there. I'm going to at least encourage them to listen with as much perspective as they can have. And, and you know, no, you should really, I think, I think you're good. I think you're done. I think you're ready. Yeah. Um, it, it does happen sometimes where it's like, not so sure and then the record gets like delayed for six months while they sit and listen to it a thousand times but i think that's the exception more than the rule i uh, um no i'm much more i'm much more uh, um 
doubtful of my own material. And I've, I've learned again, you get to a point where it's like, just put the paintbrush down. Right. Yeah. Yep. Just, you're Always. never going to finish that record if you don't just go, okay, that's good. Yeah, that, that's good. <laughs> yep. Enough. Yep. Now, you mentioned you mentioned their um, Stomping Gen. Go ahead. No, I just, I, I'm just thinking, I just, I have these thoughts in my head right now. Good, so, I hear them. So, them out there. so, like, okay, so you asked if, like, Sawtooth wrote, and so he and I, I don't know if you listened to the one episode or potentially more that we've talked about. So we met at UMass in a poetry club yep. that I started. Were you in the MFA program? No. So oh. I, we were undergraduates and neither one of us were English majors or anything. But um, when I was a freshman, I met another gentleman and uh, my roommate and we started the UMass Poetry Society, which was a residential organization that we started when? on campus. So this was 95, 96. Cool. Yeah. And I that might is, know that, some people that were in that. Right. And that is I how we met Joshua Michael that's, Stewart. That's how we met Josh. Josh. Wow. Josh was in the poetry yeah. society with us. Um, cool. And George. And you mentioned George William Meyer, who I think took over the UMass Poetry Society after we graduated. Yeah. Oh, my God. Because Josh <laughs> told me that George yeah. had like taken it and like ran with it after we left and now he's doing Amherst cinema and, and all this right stuff. Yeah. right right so and, I, and and i'm listening to the two of you and like this marriage of like you know literally marriage of like writing and poetry and creative endeavors in that realm yeah. and then the music you know and i think about like you know everything that it's just all i love mashups like my artwork my i do collage work so it's like that's what I call it. It's like visual mashups. I do collage work too. I want to yeah. see some of it. Yeah. yeah. So, yours, by the way. So I like to take visual, the visual component of the art with writing, but I don't really write poetry. But for me, it's like a, a way of poetry that I don't really write any longer, but I mash it up and I like put it all together and I shake it. I want to see. Oh, I'll, I'll send you a link. But well, if this, yeah, if this pandemic ever ends, you can come over to our home. <laughs> right. We have lots of her stuff. I know. Hanging up I'm everywhere. like, why do we not know each other IRL? It's yeah, so weird. I know. It's funny. I but, feel like we should. But I, yeah, I am open for submission, Stompin' Jen. Oh, thank you. Um, the public one. I never charge for visual <laughs> art submissions. That 450 goes away for visual art. Yeah, because I don't have to read it. Yeah. So I don't know. All of that just like yeah. was bubbling in my head. I just had to like get it out. It was like no, it's, just it's, like it's, it's, building it's up in my solid head. thought bubbles. I appreciate yep. them. Yeah. Go ahead, Mark. <laughs> well, I was going to say, is it possible that we can take about a ten minute break so she and I can go out of this hot little room that is happens yeah. to be yeah. the quietest yeah. room that we're in? Yep. Absolutely. We need to. I need I need about ten minutes. Yeah. There's yeah. no air. Do you mind? Are we no, not at all? Go too late? Not at all. Yeah, no, we'll take, we'll take we can, a break. We can break right now. I've I've, I've heard your, your your podcast before where you're like we could go for hours. Yeah, um, we can go yeah, for we hours. Could. Um, <laughs> I will. I will. I'm going to stop recording right now. Okay, we're back from break. So, <laughs> okay. so we're back on again, baby. Books. So you mentioned chat books earlier. And yeah, I think some of our listeners may not know what a chat book is. So I'm curious if you could tell us what that is and how Meet for Tea got involved with chat books. Certainly. So a chat book is a work usually in a single genre, 
by one author, a slim volume, typically 40 to 50 pages, could even be less, but a slim volume of work in a single genre by one author. Cool. And we weren't actually going to start a chapbook press. There's a young fellow, Michael Alves, who we'd published a lot who actually just kept on at me about wanting to publish a chat book with us. I'm like, well, why would you do that? Just self-publish. We, we don't have a giant distribution arm, you know, mm-hmm. we're not, so, we're not Harper Collins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that, that is actually a question I had written down when, when people can so easily self-publish now, uh, why, what value does having a chapbook on a platform like uh, Meet for Tea Press um, give to them? And why, why should they think about it? Well, I guess I feel weird saying it, but Michael Alves actually made the point really firmly that the name of Meet for Tea means something. Mm-hmm. And it's come to carry some weight because of some of the critical acclaim the literary journal has gotten right so it 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 means more i guess than just this is my stuff and i published it myself Mm -hmm. um meet for tea press saw fit to publish it us so um he brought us and this was our first chat book his book of poetry which i do recommend the title is fabulous yep go ahead Yeah, the young man is Michael Alves, Mm A-L-V-E-S. And his chapbook is called My Father is Voting for Donald Trump and Other Reasons My Life is Falling Apart. (laughs) (laughs) I saw that on your I saw that on your website. (laughs) Not too shitty. Yeah, I think that's a um an experience many people have had going to to holiday gatherings or just in everyday life (laughs) these days. Is um is publishing chapbooks different than publishing a magazine? And what what's Barry. yeah? How is it different? Well, it's not a periodical, so it's it's a one it's a one off. It, it has to stand on its own. And being not a publishing person myself, the only way I've been able to relate to that is is again through my my music career if when you release an album it, it the release has to stand on its own it's like i mean you can look at something like peter gabriel and the fact that his first three records were just called peter gabriel uh they were all without title because he had the idea of making it kind of like a magazine mm-hmm. which flips the whole thing completely 180 degrees of, of instead of it being each thing stands on its own it's part of a series but largely when you look at you know, every release that an artist does on a uh, for a record is like it is a theoretically a self embodied you know, self bodied work or a uh, self enclosed work, and it has to stand on its own. Uh, where the magazine, of course, by its very nature, is serial, and I think that's why Peter Gabriel actually did that. Was he was like trying to get away from this concept that it was a, a singular thing each time and, and make it part of a continuing story or a continuing. Mm-hmm. Uh, dialogue. Trent Reznor uh, does that, right? He does that too. 
He labels mm-hmm, all mm-hmm. of his albums. One, two, three, four. Well, he's been, he's been, that's a really remarkable thing is that even before he was really even a signed artist, he had made the decision. And I know this actually firsthand because I, his, his original publicity company, um, a friend of mine who I worked at a record store with worked for that publicity company. And she actually told me this story mm-hmm. is that he made the decision that every release would be specifically numbered. Mm-hmm. And so all of the numbering of all the releases with Nine Inch Nails releases are done specifically with that in mind. Mm-hmm. She actually sent me a, an advanced copy of that first album mm-hmm. um, when I was actually working on my first album. Uh, and she said, yeah, this is going to be right up your alley. And I listened to it and I went, holy crap, if this guy tours, he's going to be huge. And she goes, yeah, that's what we think too. Sure enough. And and I've <laughs> never been in, interested in touring. I, I like being on stage, but I really don't like everything else. Involved. Well, you had a child. Well, way before I had a child. And I wasn't, when I was 20 years old, I mean, I liked being on stage, but I didn't like the idea of touring and like wondering mm-hmm. how I'm going to possibly like pay my rent when I get home. Mm-hmm. Because tours, there's no guarantee even back in the, in the late 80s, early 90s that, that touring was going to make you money. I mean, it did so well. But I, I wanted to... Uh, to, to state something about uh, chapbooks, yes, about chapbooks. But um, now I'm forgetting my point. So I'm gonna I'm gonna digress. Sorry. If it comes back to me, no, it's okay. <laughs> if I'm gonna digress, if it comes back to me, I will. I'll, I'll bring it up again. By digress, you mean? Was it like? Uh, I mean, I mean, I'm going to. Um, you mean the I'm other gonna, meaning of the word digress? No, I'm gonna just. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna duck out. Verbally retreat. <laughs> Was it the retreat. difference between retreat. magazines and um and and uh books that you yeah were, was, okay was, so the books the books are are one-offs yeah. so um that we don't have to make that you know we have to make a certain number of copies right. and promote them and get them on shelves but it's not this thing that has to happen right you don't have like Every a publication schedule and a curation and submission deadline we were actually trying to have a chat book schedule and then post house fire we um haven't we we have actually a backlog of people that want to publish new chat books with us and really since our house still isn't restored and we're not back in it and a week from today we move into an airbnb and hopefully when we're out of there our house will be ready it it needs to be completely rewired because that's how the fire started Mm -hmm. was Um, it was it a really old house about 120 years old. It's one of those okay. grand old Holyoke houses that are so beautiful, but it mm. still had some knob and tube oh, wiring. Yeah. And I don't know if in Belchertown this was the case, but in Holyoke on May 9th, when we had the fire, there were very, very high winds. Mm-hmm. And then there was a power edge. Yeah, well, the winds were so high that actually a building in our neighborhood had the roof blown right off it. Oh, my God. God. So those are some fucking high winds. Yeah. And um, then the power went out, and then about 90 minutes after the power went out, there's a fire, which would lead one to think electrical. I think it was 45 minutes later. I think it was faster than that. Was it faster? Yeah. Yeah. It was was, was fast. How it wouldn't be connected would be a big surprise to me. So anyway, um, we do have a backlog of people that want to do chat books with with us, but um, we're just going to try to keep up with our every two-week 
podcasting schedule and release our double issue and do the virtual circ, which is September 5th, by the way. <laughs> and we've got original cowards playing and we've got frost heaves and hails doing some things and beach honey. And the cool thing about the virtual circ also is usually a spoken word is just local authors, but we can have authors we publish from remote regions. Mm-hmm. around the world and the country reading their stuff mm-hmm. yeah do you they think don't have to physically show up it's great do you think in the future when things return to quote unquote a new normal or whatever like will you <laughs> continue the virtual component if it's successful maybe yeah, yeah. It, it, or if we, can maybe. Figure out, if we can figure out a way to integrate the virtual component into mm-hmm. the live component I mean, the live circs are really a delight mm-hmm. um they did something on our website, you can see a really lovely short video. I don't know if you saw it, that Jody Jenkins made mm-hmm. interview video with us. And uh, the Cirques come up. But one thing they do is they bring a lot of creative people in a lot of different creative disciplines together in a space, mm-hmm. in a physical space. Right. There's your mashup. There's your yeah. mashup. Yeah. <laughs> and that's an increasingly rare opportunity these days for a room full of painters and poets and fiction writers and musicians all to be under a roof mm-hmm. trading notes, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think in some ways, although I would give up all of this COVID-19 horseshit, if I was given oh. the choice, it's been good for us as a podcast in the sense that it forced us to use this platform to be able to do interviews. And then yeah. we've reached so many more people yeah, this that's way. True. That's true. You know, we, you know, we talked to a tattoo artist in Oklahoma, Oklahoma yeah. you know, and yeah. it's just, you know, it, it has, I don't know, you know, I, I would love at some point to be able to get back to doing in-person interviews and yeah. having people, you know, come into our little studio. But I, I think for the time being, yeah. we'll continue to do it this way. And there are wild cards you have to deal with, obviously, like crappy connections and right. all of that stuff. But I, on the whole, I think it's something we will continue to do as an operation. Well, I um, think I'm glad that Stomp and Jen used the phrase new normal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because I think we're all going to be feeling our way towards a new normal and i think that mindset is really necessary right now yeah yeah we're 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 developing a whole new set of tools um that even if things quote unquote go back to normal that we're still going to have these tools afterwards yeah and a whole new set of fools speaking (laughs) of the the branch covidians as i like to call them oh i like that that's good (laughs) Even, um, even, at, even at the studio, I mean, we, we've always had a fair amount of remote work, you know, people sending files for mixing or mastering coming from kind of all over the world. That's part of what we do. But in the past few months, that has been almost all we've done. Mm-hmm. And we've gotten even better at it. And our clients have gotten even more comfortable with it. So it's, it's establishing another layer of ways of working that are going to be part of the structure when this starts to resemble something that we remember as normal. I feel like I'd be remiss while we're talking about chat books, not to bring up um, 
The Howl of the Lamborghini series by Anthony Spaeth. And how old is your oldest child? Are they 11? Uh, 13. 13. We have, we okay. have a teenager now. Yep. Sorry, I missed a, a birthday <laughs> um, or two. But they're copiously illustrated. He draws on ancient Scotland and sort oh, of on Beowulf. And they're told in his rollicking rhyme. It's a great read out loud. It's a great fantasy um, ancient Scotland tale with monsters and mystery and marauding Norsemen. And what is the author's name again? Anthony Spaeth, S-P-A-E-T-H. And he reached out to us to do his series. And there's also audio components. Lovely. Told by a Scottish voiceover actor, and it's very inconvenient remembering his first name, but it's not not his last. But I'll get it to you so I can go in the show notes. Well, I'll have to check that out. I'm I've got it's, a good amount of Scottish in me. So do I. You would guess so. The last name like McDuffie, wouldn't you? <laughs> um, so one thing. So thinking about um, magazines and chapbooks. I, I think I wanted to ask, you know, really, um, what is the most rewarding part of being a publisher for you? I really think inspiring people to find their voice and to get it out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think so. And the most succinctly put, I think that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's the most challenging part? The most challenging part, I think, is dealing with the people that think it's absurd of me to charge a small fee for my reading time, which takes, I'm I'm a very quick reader. Still in hours. But still, when you're talking about producing a 140-page issue a quarter, and I'm accepting about one-third of what I get, um you're getting a sense of the scope of reading. Mm -hmm. Um, This notion that it's somehow draconian of me to expect just to have enough money so I don't completely go into the red shipping out physical contributors' copies. I think there's a notion that... There's a weird stereotype around those of us that do this, that it's some sort of a vanity endeavor. Or or alternately, I was going to say that there's a notion that, that if you're actually publishing a quarterly print publication of this size, that there must be some sort of money behind it, like some third party. Like We're not money at it. academically affiliated. We are no. not. I, I'm, I'm very good friends. Aside from sponsors and, and, and yeah. subscribers. Advertisers. And, yeah, advertisers, sponsors, and, 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 and people who buy the actual magazine. You know, that's where the money but comes still, from. Still, as I was saying, I'm very good friends with the managing editor, of the Massachusetts Review. Love her very dearly. She's in my book club. Um, We are not the Massachusetts Review. Mm -hmm. We are not plowshares. We are not attached to any academic institution, so we're not getting that funding, nor are we a nonprofit, because um, we actually met with attorney Peter Irvine to talk about going nonprofit. And he's like, sure, just do these tax forms. And I looked at them, and my eyes crossed about 12 different ways to Sunday. And um, no. <laughs> uh, well, the, the, 
being nonprofit is great, but the scrutiny under under which you fall on a not only annual basis but a quarterly basis is a huge amount mm-hmm. of, of financial paperwork that cannot be dropped, or you will lose your status if you yeah. if you basically don't dot an I, you're done. Um, it's a massive amount of work to be a nonprofit. And it can take and it can take a couple of years, and in the process of becoming a could create a dead zone for me for tea. In the process of becoming yeah. a nonprofit, you actually can't be a for profit. In the process, you have to kind of drop anything that regards profit while right. you're doing it. We're also for such minimal profit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you would have to. I think for 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 a nonprofit, I think the challenge is you need to have a board, so you might have to. You, oh yeah, you, yeah, you yeah. could potentially lose control of yeah. what you're doing yeah and i'm very very dedicated to having um 100 creative control mm-hmm. i have a certain aesthetic and i need to stay true to it or it's really not worth it to yeah. me to do it yeah and given your i mean and given your recent um award uh from the i have it written down here the the new england the annual new england book show from Book builders at Boston. I mean, it seems like your um, your desire to adhere to that creative control and maintain it and right. make sure it's what you're putting out is aligned with your passions and your vision has paid off. Right. I mean, yeah. I mean, people yeah. appreciate it and they give us critical acclaim. Um, that being said, that award did not come with a big barrel of money. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's not you didn't get no. you didn't get the million dollar um, prize. It's, it's a wonderful. It's not a MacArthur Genius Grant. It's a, it's yeah. a wonderful recognition, and, and we yeah. and we've we, and we've, we've received a couple from them prior to. We didn't we didn't get uh, best in category. But we did get first, first place. Actually, times. here's a funny COVID story. I got an email from them in February saying we had placed yet again mm-hmm. and telling us the theme of their their catalog which this time is marginalia and asked me to share some interesting trivia stories about a few of the things in my magazines for their catalog and i have been waiting for the other shoe to drop ever since no, i do not know where we place mm. i just know <laughs> that we did i remembered Something. I remembered. Oh, I remembered. let's hear it. Something about um, basically the significance of being under an imprint, mm-hmm. mm. and, a, and a funny little story that happened probably about you know, twelve or fourteen years ago when I was very active on, on music forums online and uh, file sharing. And I use sharing quotes because it really meant basically piracy was a hot debate on these forums. I got into a discussion about somebody uh, with, with somebody who's saying, uh, don't you see that if you're on a record label, you're just being ripped off. And of course I had, <laughs> you I ran had, your own. <laughs> well, you, you've already spoiled the punchline, but <laughs> sorry, <laughs> that's okay. That's the, what wives are for. The whole thing is this, this, this guy was going after me about, you know, don't you see that your record label is ripping you off and blah, 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 because I had records out on, Radio Valkyrie Records. That was that. It still is my personal record label. And so I had a couple records out at that point. He's like, "You're being ripped off by your label, and you're too stupid to see it." And blah 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 blah. And I let him go. I let him rant at me for a couple days. Yeah. Well, I said, "Well, you know," and I kept so sort of playing the dumb. Well, you know, you know, they, you know, not all labels are stupid. No, no, they're just ripping you off. They're just ripping you off. 
And then finally it got to the point where I said, dude, you do realize the label that you're accusing of ripping me off is me. (laughs) (laughs) And, and that your generalizations about record labels are completely now invalid because you don't know what you're talking about. You managed to go into all these divergent arguments about how record labels are bad. And yes, some are, that's, that's absolutely true. But my point is, is that he had seen this concept of, of somehow record labels as being a status thing. Right. But then taking it into this, you know, the music industry is bad to justify his argument. Now the, the argument is a tangent here, but the point is, is that he had, recognize a status of an imprint and i think that's actually very valid is that when somebody else recognizes your work and Mm -hmm. and and has their imprint on your work it it validates your work in a way even if it it doesn't carry any significant weight that somebody else goes yeah 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 we want to be involved too that's important yeah uh, and I think that was my point that I wanted to bring up before. I'm not sure if that was my point, but I think that's what it was. <laughs> yeah, that's a funny story it, it, at any rate. Oh, yeah. It's, it, was, it was a very amusing amusing yeah. couple of days, that's for sure. Yeah, you mentioned advertisers a little while ago. I'm, curi- oh, yeah. I'm curious how you pick what ads you want to run. Um, well, I don't deal with large corporations. Um, and really when Alex and I first started the magazine, we had the idea for, and the mock-up of the front cover of the front issue. And we took that in paper form around to local businesses, like on foot. Um, the first issue was released. Are you good? Mm Mm-hmm in um, February of 2006. And so that would have been December. So we were bundled up and we're just pounding the pavement. And we literally, we started at Thorns and went into Harold's and talked to Steve and he was our first yes. And we just went around, like, we have this idea, we're gonna do this thing. Would you give us money for it? And collected checks. So you focused and on local businesses first, like in the community. I've yeah, I mean, I've rarely focused on anything else, and I've really been quite grateful for the support I've gotten. Um, oh my, has been a huge supporter. Mm-hmm. Broadside Books has been a huge and faithful supporter. And for people, uh, for people who are listening to this who may not. He is familiar with the Pioneer Valley where we live. Oh my, I believe is a it's a sex toy like shop, mm-hmm. right? Shop in Northampton, yeah. yeah. Very se- very sex positive. Yeah. Very strongly sex positive shop, yes. Yep. That's awesome. Very non-creepy and very super cool. And shout out to Bethany Myers who runs mm-hmm. it with her mom, Carol. Mom and daughter sex shop. I mean Yep. Says that's it all. pretty rad. Yep. <laughs> that, that's pretty rad. <laughs> so yeah, I, I actually recently did send an email to um, Polar, who does the seltzer because they are local, um, thinking that they could cover a large part of my printing costs and barely even 
put a drop in their advertising bucket. Um, I love polar seltzer, just anecdotally. I drink. I love them too. I love them a little so bit less since they, they ignored they no. my. Oh. Oh. I mean. No, they said worse than no. They said nothing, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to change. What, what's another brand of seltzer? Adirondack seltzer. What? That's Adirondack? the one. That's the one I like. I never heard of that one. Poland Springs. Hey, what, what about- I think we'll just stick with polar and just make the point. Like we're drinking you, but we're going to stop if you don't support me for tea. <laughs> Polar, get on Daz. it. And maybe be I a do. sponsor of the Soft Serve podcast while you're at it, Polar. There you Come go. on. It's two for one. Z- two for one. Zaz yeah. was our studio seltzer brand for a while. My, my partner, Justin. I don't even know what Zaz is. It was, the, it was the Stop and Shop brand for a while. And he, oh, my God. <laughs> Zaz. You know, it was, it was like kind of just fun to say. And it was just as good as any other seltzer. But for some reason, that was the seltzer that was always in the studio. <laughs> 2012, yeah. 2013, and then they stopped carrying Zaz, and it's like, or they stopped you know, branding it or whatever. But yeah, yeah, we've had a lot of support from locals. I That's another reason why, even before the house fire, but in the wave of COVID, I didn't do the June issue because a lot of my faithful advertisers looking at you, O'Brien of Sierra Grill. Oh, geez. He's been hit so um, hard. A lot of my restaurant owners. Well, that's what I mean, baby. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. You weren't listening. <laughs> what I mean is looking at you, O'Brien, you were hit so hard. Oh, and I most yeah, of my, yeah. 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 There was a comma. <laughs> um, yeah. A lot of the restaurant owners and local breweries and other yeah. businesses who have supported me, I couldn't, yeah. couldn't in any kind of good conscience ask them for any money at all because yeah. I knew they didn't have it. Yeah. Because yeah. I don't know if you listened to our Purple Flame podcast. We did a series of two. But, you know, the, the overriding thing here, I feel, is we're all in this together. Yeah. And just for people listening, um, so the Meat for Tea cast, which we're going to talk about really shortly, um, and our podcast, Soft Serve Podcast, interviewed um, Jason Montgomery and Josh Suhoza. Um, they are East Hampton. Love those guys. Yep, they're amazing people and East Hampton they business are. owners. And they started the Purple Flame um, network syndicate. syndicate, which which is aimed at supporting businesses to try to help them get through this time. So, so helpful, actually, yeah. so helpful. Yeah. Do you um, do you guys um do you guys look for grants or other grant opportunities that you can take advantage of? I'm yes. Just curious. Yeah. Yes. Um. I when we started off and we we're um meet for tea the Northampton Review our first year out we got a generous grant from the um. Northampton Arts Council, mm-hmm. and we have for a number of years, and they always put you on break, but we've, we've received grants from mm-hmm. East Hampton Cultural Councils. We've yep. been there, but yes, we, yes. we, um, the grants usually barely cover printing of one run of the issue. Not to say we're not grateful for them, yeah. we're, we're extremely grateful, and we also realize that, um, all the local cultural councils are Mm -hmm. struggling for funding as are all arts funding institutions. So Mm -hmm. we're grateful for anything we can get Mm -hmm. because this is a hard time for the arts. Yeah, Yeah, I would agree. Less respected than ever, probably before in our 
I would agree. I will just make a personal plug that us out here on the other side of the valley, Belchertown, Belchertown, (laughs) always looking for grant uh, applications for interesting programs and things to happen here. I actually participated in um, an event that Jason Montgomery had funded Mm -hmm. by the Belchertown Cultural Council um, two years ago as a spooky stories Halloween oh, yeah, event. That's right. mm-hmm. Oh, I was there and I told a story. Remember? Mark's son Sebastian read a story at that. Yeah, I I improvised one on the spot. Okay, about... we have met IRL. Oh yeah, if you were there at that, yeah. then that, and I think that was the first time I met Jason. Was it that? I event? read. Yeah, Jason co-read. A short story, a piece of flash fiction I, I had written mm-hmm. called The Voyage of the Anna. And um, Mark's son, Sebastian, we're talking about the Belcher yeah, Town, yeah, spooky yeah. stories. We've met these guys, our IRL. It turns out. That is so interesting. So, so, yeah, Sebastian read a number of his spooky stories he'd written. He was um, he's 13 now. He's going to be 14 really soon. So he was 12, 11, going on 12. Oh, I remember yeah. that. Yeah. Do you remember that kid? I do. Yeah, it's... that's Mark's kid. Oh, that is awesome. Oh, hi. Yeah. yeah. Nice <laughs> to meet you. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chuckle every time I hear a sound effect. <laughs> so speaking of spoken stuff, Meet for Tea started a podcast called the Meet, the Meet for Tea cast. Tell us about your podcast and what it's all about and what's on it. Well, do you want want to go? I'll I'll start with the, the notion that uh, since the Cirques, the release parties have been at uh, at my studio Stone lab for going on about eight years now, we've been recording all of the spoken word and all of the live music Mm -hmm. kind of with the idea of like, maybe we're going to do like a big, Big box set of music and spoken word, or something. We didn't weren't really sure. Really sure what big we were book do. with CDs with it, or something glamorous mm-hmm. like we that. Knew, we just knew that archiving was a good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it came. I don't remember exactly how it came to be, but Elizabeth had the idea that we should have a podcast. What are we? What's the content going to be? And like right in front of us, what's the content? Gonna years be? worth. We've got years worth archives. Of these We've got like. Probably a hundred hours or more of, of these recordings, at least. Oh wow! Um, you know, quarterly, and for every every quarter, there's an hour's worth of spoken word, and mm-hmm. probably an hour and a half or two hours worth of music to to call from. Two or three bands, and an hour's worth of readers. Well, we've had some amazing bands like yeah. um, Roger Clark Miller. I mean, it's just oh God. I mean, there's so many. Who today. was originally in Mission to Burma? I don't mm-hmm. know if that rings any bells the trinary system his, his but now his current project trinary system we had kim gordon mm-hmm. on yeah we should actually think about doing that circuit actually at some point but the um the, the so we, we have all this material and it's like oh well there, there's a good basis for a podcast so that right there was like oh we should do things with events that we've done mm-hmm. yeah uh, the, the a lot of people never got to sorry baby a lot of people never got to go we have right. a lot of People that are too far away and a lot of contributors are too far away. So to present these in a way that, you know, left coast exactly. contributors can attend. Anybody, anybody who couldn't make, 
you know, make it because of traveling reasons and whatever. Here's another way of, of involving people in this extension of the magazine anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but then as it turns out, our first episode, our first two episodes, it was a two-parter, was from an event that we did um, as part of... Um, oh, East Hampton Book Fest. Um, I, I was called upon. I was, I was a collaborator in that, and I produced um, poetry, prose, and pints. Mm-hmm. Oh, our first our first one was actually was actually the one at Priscilla. Oh yeah, thank you. Yeah, um, yeah. And Brandy Cold Simone, Cuts. right? Was singing. Yeah, exactly. Brandy she's Simone. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, she's and great. and Brittany Brito. Brittany Brito is super amazing too. Um, yeah, thank you, baby. So Cold a, Cuts and Cool Cats, so, which I named because it was at the butchery. Yeah. So it sounds like this is a way for you to kind of give new life to these, you know, performances that, you know, people came out and did and you captured and, mm-hmm. you know, you can put them back out there in the world. Yeah, super cool. Partially. Yeah. Yeah. Just just to let people that aren't able to attend, that mm-hmm. aren't Western mass folks. But also, um, I always wanted to have another component, like all those archives were good to have, but I also wanted to have conversations. Um, the I think the first one of the first big episodes we did was with um, Andrew Varnon, who was a colleague of mine at UMass back in the day. I was PhD, he was MFA, but I was the PhD candidate that always hung out with the MFAs because y'all had better parties. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> um, but he wrote this really cool piece called um, The Other Side of the Net, where he discusses his relationship with reading David Foster Wallace, Infinite Jest. Because mm-hmm. David Foster Wallace was also an avid tennis player. So in terms of being playing against almost a ghost mm-hmm. tennis partner... It was pretty rich. So we 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 had a performance that he did at um, Emily Williston Library, actually the eve of Halloween. Mm-hmm. This was just last October. I can't believe we were getting people together in a space. Yeah. Wow. So weird. It's so weird. Every time so I think boring. of getting people together to congregate in a space and thinking that my immediate sentiment is like, oh, I wish the crowd was larger. <laughs> So I, bizarre. I just, I just see people on a TV show getting together and, and not wearing masks. I'm like, what are you doing? What are you yeah. doing? <laughs> where's your where's your fucking mask? But anyway, so so we did that and um I think that's the first conversation that led into a performance um because he was talking about David Foster Wallace. I published this piece in Meet for Tea too. I can put the issue in the send it to you for show notes. But uh, it was heavily footnoted, you know, in the style of David Foster Wallace. Mm-hmm. So when we performed it, I read the footnotes mm. amidst his reading. And then we, we, we've we just had several conversations, um, like when obviously the Purple Flame group started, yeah. it seemed wise to focus on that and then... On Juneteenth, we had Khalif Neville mm-hmm. in conversation because we, we did a, episode 16 and episode 17 were devoted entirely to black voices to do with whatever they wanted and certainly not to instruct white people on what to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Because white people can figure it the fuck out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. This, I think what, what has happened is, is that we, we've, with the initial premise of having meat for tea related components, that is contributors or performers. There's so are many. The, are the basis of, of who we have on the podcast. What exactly is on the podcast is actually kind of up for grabs. Mm-hmm. It sort of depends on what's happening in the moment. It, it really is. There though, has to be some every, tie to meet for tea. There's always a tie to meet for tea. Everybody who's been on the pod- podcast has been, has been tied to the magazine in one way or another. But I think beyond that, there's not a lot of rules and it's kind of fun that we can just kind of go, what do you want to do for the next episode? Oh, it's going to be stuff from the circle. What do you want to do for the next episode? We should really have a conversation with so-and-so. And that's great. It's, um, I guess it, it maybe dilutes the identity a little bit, but I think we're... we're. I don't know. I feel like it's kind of as if you had selected shorts and tiny desk concerts and fresh air all in a thing you could go find. I think yeah. we're kind of... I know there's some lofty comparisons. Say, I, I would love a fraction of. I would love a fraction of their listenership. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, a, it's an umbrella of your mashup concept of. Yeah, and I think different art forms. Yeah. Sorry. Right. Right. Stomping Jen. Exactly. Yeah, it is a mashup, and I, and I also think that a lot of what you publish mm-hmm. in the form of poetry or flash fiction might okay. be intended to be read out loud, so. Um, so I'm, I'm wondering if this is, you know, I'm, I'm wondering since a lot of what you publish, you know, maybe is intended to be heard, spoken, that having a podcast is kind of really, it is a natural extension mm-hmm. of yeah. the magazine. And Definitely. Awesome. Yeah. Yes. yes. Yeah. And it's not like it was super obvious to us right away, but then it became obvious like, oh, wait a minute, there's this medium that we, yeah. we do with we do have. We can, I actually was talking about doing a podcast for about a year. Yeah, yeah, I know. Before like, we did it. Yeah, but just, a many years. You got to you got to chew on a thing for a while. Yeah, and in yeah, my how mo- do we do it? <laughs> yeah, and in I've my never done a podcast before, so how do we do a podcast? Yeah, because so, yeah. being married to a sound engineer makes it a mm-hmm. little easier. <laughs> it could or it could make it. Did you say it makes it easier or harder? Easier. Could yeah, I was gonna it. say it could make it harder. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, yes. it, he's gonna he's gonna yeah. not release anything that's um not up to audio, right? Snuff. Yeah, or at least I'm gonna try to get it up to audio. Yes, yeah. and when there's technical challenges along the way, as if you listen from the beginning of our endeavors, that I tried to listen to your whole catalog, but here's what <laughs> I honestly did: I listened yeah. to like the first. Um, seven and then i went and found friends so i'm like okay well there's jason and Mm -hmm. josh and there's um there's horrors and i just i just went and listened for episodes of friends and then um heidi who was the environmental oh heidi heidi dollard from belcher that was a really great episode oh thank you and she I enjoyed that a lot. And she talked about pollinators. Yep. That's episode 92. And, you know, that a was lot- really good. Thank, Thank you. you. I and, applaud that. And, and I think about, you know, kind of when we first started, our episodes were very jazz like in the sense that 
for the most part, they were structureless. We didn't really know. They were know. like sun raw, dude. <laughs> <laughs> um, but now, you know, but I think over time, over the almost two years since we've been doing this, I think we have found a lot of value in talking to people. Yeah. Um, like yourselves. And I wanted, so one, one of the things I wanted to um, ask you about is with a relatively newish podcast, were there challenges that you've run into and I'm not, not necessarily technical ones, but if there were technical ones, I'm interested in hearing about those, but um, are there challenges you ran into in getting a podcast up and going and, you know, kind of uh, crystallizing the meat for tea um, cast into existence? Um, Well, can I just say um, the house fire didn't help. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine that. (laughs) much i mean may 9th mm-hmm. uh but luckily mark got the podcast equipment out and so we never skipped our schedule i think also that, that even prior to that just as we were starting to get the podcast up and running it became very apparent we needed to find a new apartment to live in mm-hmm. because we'd only lived in the apartment that had the fire since september last year oh and we started the podcast just kind of prior to that we hadn't even really got it up and running so that kind of dented the momentum a little bit. Um, you know, I, I don't think, I don't think there was any, any sort of daunting thing in terms of the podcast itself. It was sort of like, we want to do this. Let's do this. How are we going to do this? We'll do it this way. And, how we roll. And then we just sort of, <laughs> we just sort of dove head first into it. Um, also how we roll. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And for me, for, for me, it's you present me with, with an audio challenge and that's just what I do for a living. Yeah. So I'm like, uh, okay, well, we're going to do it this way. I mean, I've recorded books on tape. I've, I've mixed surround sound for documentaries. I've recorded a bazillion bands. And, yeah. Um, so it's like, Oh, it's another audio project. Well, we can handle that. Um, content okay well content's important but we'll figure that out <laughs> mm-hmm. i mean i guess you know, oh yeah content right <laughs> we have all the content we've we've got so much content and then there's so many people um we're hoping to be talking to jamie Berger, who did a really interesting podcast i don't know if you're familiar with it um the 15 minutes podcast 15 minutes of fame i know that name and why do i know that name well he used to run the VU mm-hmm. Club Rendezvous. Up in Turner's Falls. Married to Anya Schutz. Um, but his 15 minutes of podcast is really cool. He had everyone on it. George Saunders. Okay. Robin Hitchcock. Yeah, right. John Hodgman. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, John Hodgman. I know John Hodgman. <laughs> yeah. We get to yeah. meet him because of that. We podcast. got to meet him. We went up to the, oh, the cool. VU. Oh, cool. He like lives up here somewhere. Yeah. In the valley. He had a he really kind of here, for sure. he, he had, alternates. I think he's got a pied a terre. Uh-huh. And he has he a really funny like He has uh, Hodgman has a really funny podcast. I listened to Judge for a John while. Hoffman. Yeah, Judge John um Hodgman. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We love it. That's gotten yeah. us through some long drives. Yeah, that's really funny. Um so it's brilliant. Is there anywhere you want to take the podcast that you are you know you're thinking about that you haven't been able to quite put into practice yet? What do we have well, to look for? What do we have to look forward to? Yeah, um, I would like to see some more. I mean, I have an idea of a lot of future guests. 
But I'd love to see more audience engagement. We've been reaching out to people and saying, hey, you know, just record a voice memo of you. Maybe you missed a Cirque. Maybe there's a band you miss yeah. seeing and you'd like us to play them on the podcast. Maybe there's something you want us to address. Um, so I'd like to, the audience engagement that seems to be um, a challenge to get. Yeah, and I, I will share with you kind of from my own experience my my download numbers are disproportionate to my online engagement which is practically zero so (laughs) i i don't know why and and when i look at myself actually i can kind of understand this i do very little engagement with the podcasts i listen to right but i listen to a ton of them Um, me too i'm a podcast junkie that's interesting yeah and in my my download numbers belie the what appears to be no engagement online. I mean, we're doing better on Facebook now, but, um, and on Instagram, but I mean, you'd think we have no audience if you just looked at our Facebook page. Mm -hmm. And I never bothered to create a separate meat for tea cast page on Facebook because, um, yeah, we did. Oh, that's right. We did. I'm sorry. No, I mean, Instagram, (laughs) Instagram, Instagram, Instagram. I have a meat for tea Instagram page and, I, just, I feel like everything, everything kind of filters into meat for tea. So I'm, I have to weigh out how much I want to, as his father would say, dilute my argument. Yeah, you got to be really careful. Like when you've got a bunch of bunch of related irons, but diff, disparate I, irons in the same fire. Mm-hmm. You don't want to like. It's something to weigh out. Yeah, you don't want to yeah. dilute them away from the original iron. And right. the original iron, in this case, is Meat for Tea, right. the magazine. Yeah. So we always want to keep it kind of circling around that. And so Meat for Tea, I think in the future, if you're asking that question about like, what do you want to do in the future, it's like kind of keep doing what we're doing and kind of evolve it as it organically evolves. I think having... Well, I do want to do a Patreon yeah. section. And I've got some ideas for fun bonus content yeah, where a, yeah. a noted scholar and poet and I get together and drink wine and watch Real Housewives. And, <laughs> and no, this is serious. This is for real. Yeah. This is like, this is going to be like Patreon <laughs> bonus content. No and <laughs> we're going to, we're going to start a Patreon based on this alone. That sounds like fun. No, seriously. Yeah. I, I think actually it'd be really great. Yeah. Well, <laughs> She's she's also she's a, a college professor and well PhD'd and well published and I just think um the two of us watching ninety day fiance and mm-hmm. real housewives, um it might not be like the other housewives the other housewives, the other episodes podcast that discuss that. I think it'd probably go different because we're gonna come at it from a kind of wild place yeah and i and i think you know i think that's one of the things i love about the medium right is you can do absolutely anything right it's flexible and you will and you can find an audience there are people interested in everything everything and anything. anything yeah um so other than Judge John Hodgman and of course the Soft Serve podcast, um, what what what, I, what love. I, <laughs> thank you. Uh, what else do you listen to? I'm curious. Okay, um, we we very much love John McCorder and um, 
Lexicon Valley. Oh, yeah. Do you know Lexicon oh, Valley? I don't. I haven't heard of that one. Oh, my God. He's a Columbia University professor of linguistics. And he will find something that's happening in our speech patterns. Like, no. You know, the way people are Oh, like, yeah. Well, Noah. Uh, yep. Do you want to eat those golden grams? No. Um, and then he'll trace its roots and where it comes from historically. And then he's very, very well versed in the history of the American musical. So he'll usually pull in a musical from the 20s, 30s, or 40s to illustrate this linguistic event. Yeah. It's... You you always feel smarter after every time you listen. It's just he's, he's also um, a black man who is pretty vocal about how he feels about the orange turd that sits in the White House. He doesn't really hold back. It's true. I, I heard him on the radio just the other day talking about something, and I was like, "He's super oh, wow. smart." There's, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. I, see, that's that's the degree to which I dork out, and I know that's pretty hard. Oh, I I, I dork out pretty hard too. I mean, do you want to recommend? Oh, well, I mean, if you're if you're into the into into recording and the history of music, um, recording specifically the history of music recording, almost based around New York City. Um, a an acquaintance and I would say you know casual friend of mine uh, an engineer uh, has a podcast called Gear Club. His name is John Aniello. He works with Dinosaur Junior. That's how I know him. And he and, and a good of friend it? of his. And what was the name of it again? Gear Club. Gear Club. Gear, okay. The Gear Club podcast. Oh, Gear. And they, okay. Gear Club. Yeah. Yep. And they interview all sorts of um, famous engineers and producers and things. Um, if you're not into that world, you're probably not going to care, but if you're into it, it's like a deep dive. Um, so I've been into that a lot. I, there's, there's, there's a couple of Beatles podcasts, but I think, uh, um, nothing is real. There's a couple, couple, um, guys from Ireland who just talk about the Beatles and it's very casual and it's very fun and they just have their observations and they have a lot of history. We are such dorks. That's fun to, I mean, I, yeah, I tend to lean into the, into the stuff that relates to my field more than anything else. So I'm not going to offer much more than that. I have one really, really fun one. I mean, Jamie Berger's 15 minutes, be sure to listen to that. But, um, beach too sandy, water too wet. And this is a brother and sister pair of comedians Mm. who read one star Yelp and Google reviews. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> very, very dramatically over dramatic music. Bum, bum, bum. They did one on ancient Rome where someone's like, this is just a Disney ripoff. You can tell those Pompeian bodies aren't real. Yeah. It's the funniest thing you ever heard in your <laughs> That's life. That's hilarious. I gotta, I gotta listen to that. Oh my god, it makes my day every day. So we he, need to start a podcast called "People Taking Themselves Too Seriously." I mean, that's what they're, they're doing. They're well, that's saying. actually they're after the colon of their podcast, "Beach Too Sandy, Water Too Wet," for people who just need to make their opinions be heard. Oh yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Never mind. <laughs> Done. So we have. We have the magazine, people wanting to submit to it. We have 
chat books, we have podcasts. You know, this question that occurred to me is, I, I feel like, and this is kind of more of an existential question, is that um, I, I feel like we all want to be heard, right? Mm-hmm. We all want to be heard. Sure. And I'm grateful for these for these mediums. Um, but what is it, do you think, what is it, do you think it could be about the way we live our lives? It could be about civilization. Why is it, why do people so desperately want to be heard and feel like they're, yeah, yeah just kind of curious? Well, I think right now with everything so divided and so polarized and with the orange turd in chief and his henchmen doing their due best to keep it divided and polarized and dangerous. People feel like they're shouting into a vacuum. Yeah. So even having any, and I'm even talking about, you know, the, white supremacists and mass calls and the conspiracy theorists. I I think we're hearing these voices, unfortunately, more too, because just having someone on the other side just being like, oh, yeah, I hear you. I hear what you're saying, incel. You're not alone. Um, I think we've just gotten to this very, very polarized era. I'm not saying that I'm historically blind and that there haven't been points that have been divisive in the past. I think this has reached a new fever pitch. Or or a new one, yeah. I think it's a new fever pitch. Not politically speaking, why do we want to be heard? That's a, geez, that's a deep question. Uh, If you're speaking about just like the human desire to create and be heard. Yeah, sure. Why does the go, wow, I need to be changed. That's a a tough one because I, I can't answer why, but I can tell you that, you know, as a creative, to be heard or to be seen, I, I think I've never I've never created to be for the reason to be heard or to be seen. I never I've, that's never been my driving force. But when I've created something that I thought people in the world might like, yeah. the urge to have it heard or be seen is kind of almost overwhelming. Like you, you, I made this thing and, and I want people to experience it. And I, I don't, I, I have no answer to as to why that happens, but I know it has happened to me. On I think it's almost like an urge to share. Well, it yeah. is absolutely an urge to share. Yeah. I think it is. I, I think if you think you made something, I, I, I love to cook. Yeah. <sighs> there you go. There's and I feel knowledge. like it's a similar thing. Like I, I, that's one of the biggest tragedies of COVID for me is one of my favorite things to do is have people over. I, I bake my own sourdough bread. I've got a 50 year old starter. And I just like to have people over wow. and make something grand and maybe have everyone bring something. And there's nothing more soul satisfying than bringing a group of people together for conversation yeah. and good food. And I think good food, good art, good music, good literature, are all soul satisfying in 
the same way. And I think they share their roots in the same human drive. Yeah, I can't, and, I, yeah, I cannot agree with you more. Go ahead. Um, well, I was going to say that, yeah. that it, you just reminded me of a piece of art that we had in our apartment that has hopefully been packed away and saved from Bread and Puppet. Oh yeah, is the is the art the art manifesto and one of the, the lines the cheap art manifesto that I bought when I was an undergrad the cheap art manifesto and one of the lines in the bread and puppet cheap art manifesto is art is food mm-hmm. yeah For and, your soul. and, and there it is nourishing I I, food indeed yeah. I think I think that is it I think that's it and and the desire to cook and share your cooking is it completely akin to the desire to create and share your well, for me like my yeah, my visual awesome. art, my writing, and, and yes, I've composed music before. I'll talk to you about that another time. <laughs> but all of this comes together under one creative drive, is make something good Yeah. to share with people. Yeah, and I, think it, I do think it's an intrinsically human need mm-hmm. right I'm, the thing that keeps popping into Primal. my head yeah as i as i was i didn't think of this when i wrote the question earlier but it's popping into my head now is the documentary by Werner herzog the cave of forgotten dreams oh my oh, god yeah, i yeah, love yeah. that so hard right? yeah and yeah. Those, oh my those, god i love it so much yeah and like That's the, one of my favorites the earliest human beings right not only did they have this need to create mm-hmm. and draw but they like they drew on the contours of the walls in such a way that what they were creating could be shared in a more animate way with the it people. It worked with the, the shapes. Yeah, it like flickered. I love that documentary yeah. so much. Cave of Forgotten Thank Dreams. Thank you for reminding me. And and I just I think back to that, and it just and it it's just I can't come to any other conclusion that it's, this is it's a primal urge. It is a primal urge. Um, it is. Because those people weren't looking to be in a gallery or to get paid (laughs) or to get um, some art critic to write a good article about them. I just got to do this shit. That's what it is. Yeah. It's just, there's, I think if you're true to your craft, it's such an inner drive that if no one is going to give you anything and if no one's going to look at you or listen to, you're going to still going to do it. Yeah. So, I'm going to switch gears a little bit. Uh, what do you I like? Do. So, what do you what do you like to do? Not meat for tea related for fun. What do you like to do when you just want to get away and disconnect and beach the beach? Mm-hmm. We gotta get to the beach. I miss yeah. beach. Mm-hmm. It's I'm trying to figure out like a COVID safe way oh to be immune compromising. Right, Jen. Likewise, right, something, Jen. <laughs> I'm a I Jersey know. girl, so I miss the shore. Yeah. Every year I have to go at least to the Jersey Shore. I'm an shore. Eastern Seaboard girl, yeah. mm-hmm. so I, I feel you on now. I'm, I'm missing. I feel like at this point in the summer that I haven't been in salt water yet. Mm-hmm. It's some kind of a dire sin and just a, a, a tiny wee aside. My last name actually translated from the Gaelic means son of the dark fairy and Scottish mythology has it that the first mother of our line was a Selkie. Do you know what those are? Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. Song of the sea. Yeah. Song of the sea. Great. Yeah, um, yeah, great yeah. movie. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I I don't see any webbing here, so I've yeah. got my doubts. Yeah. 
but <laughs> but no, really, if I'm away from salt water and and this long, I start to feel like something's gone terribly wrong mm-hmm. with yeah. my life. Okay, so Mark, beach. Yeah, beach for Elizabeth. Mark, what about you? We know music is a big part of your life. We've talked about that. Both of um, ours. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be hard to go much beyond that. I mean, I I, I would like to read more, yeah. but being somewhat dyslexic it's kind of a challenge he does my graphic design I know, you'll, you'll figure that <laughs> clever <one>. me <laughs> well that's part of the reason why i want freaking, i proofread the. i want freaking clean copy if i'm going to be laying out your magazine because mm-hmm. i'm not proofreading that that's another reason why we do have to ask for that <laughs> yeah, yeah. because the, the, the graphic designer has mild dyslexia mm-hmm. no, it mostly just slows me down i love i do love tucking into a good book but i hardly ever do it mm-hmm. yeah um I wish I had more time to work on my own music. Uh, I do. You've been making some I've, music. Well, since, since since the since the whole COVID thing, when the studio has gotten kind You've of got started, a pretty cool I've new put, I've been, couple things. I've been putting out, out something for every Bandcamp Friday because you know the first Friday of every month. Is, and giving the money to NAACP. The first the, the first mm-hmm. yeah, the first months actually a month and a half worth of proceeds went to the Black. Black Visions Collective and NAACP. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's over. I'm, I'm, I'm. I could use the money now. So for the next, <laughs> the next bandcamp for me, we've been displaced from our fucking house. I'm we taking, get to keep some money. I'm taking it for myself, mm-hmm. but um, okay. You know, it'd be really nice to actually have time to sit down and write a proper album, as opposed to like dropping these like one or two song singles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, cool. But I don't think I can get the attention span with everything else going on. So it's actually kind of great to be doing this. It's the first time in my life that I've ever just released singles mm-hmm. like simply. singles yeah. add up to an album over time yeah. Yeah. 12 this would be a really weird album <laughs> <laughs> um so i'm gonna i'm gonna conclude with the question i ask everybody or at least i have in the last couple of weeks couple of weeks um okay. and you can interpret this any way you want um and i'll ask each of you um so you can decide who wants to go first um have you ever seen anything you cannot explain? Mm. Mm. In dreams. <laughs> okay. Definitely. <laughs> For real, anything I cannot explain. Well, yeah, I mean, a lot of our political climate. Uh, I can't, <laughs> can't, can't explain that shit. I can't I explain... I can't explain where Mitch McConnell's chin went. <laughs> I can. Time, 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 and, and, and a horrible, horrible yeah. attitude has contributed to that. So. Yeah. No. Um. Okay. Yeah. Things that I can't explain. Um, That's such a good question. No, I, I already answered it. The put. I can't explain the current political climate. Well, I don't understand why we're here at all. It makes no sense to me. It, it defies common sense. I, I just don't get it. Okay. I think maybe that's that's in the front of our brains because that's pretty much it with me. Like my right, my body. I'm like, oh, wait, well, but I thought you were pro life. I, I mentioned, but that oh, you're talking about masks now. Yeah, I see. Exactly. I, I mentioned that I'm putting out a you know a Bandcamp Friday release every every month, and the current EP that I'm working on is is unabashedly political. So. Mm-hmm. That's really on the forefront of my my head, and I, I need to get it out so I can yeah stop internalizing it. Well, we'll need to um if you if you're amenable at some point when it's done, we can have you on here, and you can yeah. um you can come on and play it or talk about it or whatever you want to do. Would, 
Mark and Justin. Okay. Yeah. yeah we'll, actually, we'll line my, that up. My partner at the studio too, Justin, he's, he's a fascinating, talented, wonderful guy. And he's got lots of interesting stories and perspectives as well. Cool. Well, we've, we have gone over two hours oh with you God. too. I know. Is that and... crazy? It, Holy crap. It went fast. Do you think? Oh, I do. Yeah. Do. Yeah. They always do. We get, you know, we, we get amazing people on right. and we just start talking and the time evaporates. Yeah. So, so I, I really, I really enjoyed our conversation. So much. I, I look forward to being a hangout with you guys, IRL. And I, I'm glad we I remember yeah. now that Halloween in Belcher Town. Yeah. And, I, and so before I, before I hit yeah. the outro music, I'll just say, and it's okay if we record this part, um, if you want to hang out just for a few seconds, once that all gets done, um, we can chat offline. But yeah. um, to our listeners, I want to say, as we do every week, we love you to pieces. Thank you for listening. Well, okay, Jesus. Stomping Jen doesn't what? love you, but I do. I didn't say that I didn't love you. Sawtooth me. Frank loves you. <laughs> That's um, not fair. Stomping Jen does not. Um, I sounded funny to pieces. Nope, you don't love them. Okay. So, people, thank you. We love you. What else, Stomping Jen? Bye now. Subscribe, download, leave a Share review. Share the friends. Do all the things. If Share the friends. If you're interested friend. in coming on, please let us know. Yeah, let us know. We'll have you on. We'll talk to you. Okay. You may not think you're interesting, but we know that you well, are. We can make anybody interesting. Right. <laughs> well. Can you though? Oh, oh, thank you. Thank can you. we though? Can As we a though? challenge. All right, everybody. So stomping Jen, what do we say? Bye now. Okay. Um, Elizabeth and Mark, any, any final words? Just thank you so well, much. Thank for- you so much. This has been so much fun. And post-COVID, yeah. we've got to have you over for dinner. Oh, absolutely. Okay, everybody, go check out all of the Meat for Tea stuff. We love yep. you. We will see you next time. So much fun. Good night, guys. Good night. Thank you.